Hello, welcome to another episode of the Nigeria on the Ball podcast, where we are on the ball with the people that know. As I mentioned, we'll be bringing you special guests from inside the industry with unique experiences and skills to share with us. Um, today, we've got a special guest. Um, he's the lead writer and the co-creator of Breaking the Lines, um, Zach Lowy. Uh, Zach, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure to, uh, to come on. Um, Zach, for people that don't know you very well, um, how would you describe yourself? Um, I guess I would describe myself as a football enthusiast slash addict. Um, I, I just love football. Uh, and I created Breaking Lines in 2016, about three and a half years ago, uh, as a sort of platform for quality football content. We've really run a number of, uh, of great articles especially over the past few months um, about just varying football topics. Uh, last week, I believe we, we ran an article on Irene Gonchalves, who is uh, considered to be the greatest um, uh, Angolan female football star, female football star uh, in Angola history. Um, today, we ran a scouting report on Said Ben Rama of Brentford and why he could be a quality addition to numerous Premier League teams. Uh, we also ran an article on Claudio Ranieri uh, and his job at Sampdoria and how he got them out of the relegation zone this season. So we really just do everything um, football related. The only guarantee that we have is, is our quality. Uh, so it's definitely something that's been growing for a while, but I would say that we're hitting our stride. Uh, so I am uh, one of the main heads behind the breaking lines. And we definitely have a lot of big plans set out for this year. Um, yes, definitely. Uh, well, for people who, um, anyone who's really engaged with uh, football on social media, Twitter, or who just, just loves to read articles about um, analysis <laughs> and football, would have seen your name around, um, which right. is where I first saw your name. So, um, as somebody who um, obviously is involved in football writing and analysis, um, yeah. how did you develop your skills? Well, I didn't start uh, writing about football. Before I would write about, I actually wrote to my school newspaper uh, before I started writing about football. Um, I've always liked writing and reading. So I guess it's something that's somewhat uh, came natural to me, but to, I mean, I, I definitely have grown and developed and improved in the football writing aspect. It's not something that comes uh, overnight, but I, you know, I just started writing about what interests me and uh, started writing on Breaking the Lines. And then I started writing for a few other websites. Um, and yeah, it's, it's something that has definitely developed over the years, um, but it's, it's been a pleasure to write for uh, a number of great websites from places such as Italy, uh, South Africa, um, really all around the world. There are just so many football lovers in uh, every corner of the of the world. So it's it's definitely something that uh, you know hasn't come overnight, but it's something that I love doing. Uh, I really love just writing about any aspect of football. Uh, this week I published 
I had an article of mine published on the warm-up HQ about um, Kristen Pulisic and Alfonso Davies and just what their unprecedented rise means to the future of Canadian and American football. Um, so that was definitely one of my favorite pieces that I've written uh, in recent months. And that, that was just um, about not only Pulisic and Davis's rise to fame, but also what has changed and what is changing in both the U.S. and Canada. Um, yeah. Um, well, I can definitely tell you, um, for anyone who hasn't read that piece, um, I've actually read that piece. I saw it on my <laughs> timeline. Uh, I'll definitely recommend um, as a read um, because obviously um, I feel like um, anyone who watches football will know, you know, I feel it was only a matter of time before um, the North Americans got it right in terms of soccer. <laughs> um, so, I, wouldn't, um, I wouldn't say that we've gotten it right, but there are definitely some things that are changing that do give me hope and give Canadians hope as well. Um, you know, to see players such as, not just Davies and Pulisic, but guys like Jonathan David, uh, who finished as, uh, as, as the top scorer in the Belgian League this season and is on his way to Lille, um, and other American-Canadian players doing very well in top five leagues, it definitely gives you hope. But I wouldn't say we're, we're there just yet, but we're, we're definitely building a, a solid spine. Uh, and hopefully by the time the 2026 World Cup rolls around, you know, we'll, we'll be able to... Uh, compete if you will yeah um you know it's it's so crazy because um i don't know I, I i guess for a lot of people i guess we didn't expect um obviously with the growing of the mls uh, the canadian league right. as well developing uh, we probably didn't expect the progress to come so quickly or so so um so much at once it just seems like so much is happening now even with the women's teams right. um, I think, was it City of Angels recently announced? Right. City of um, Angels with Serena Williams, Mia, I believe Mia Hamm, uh, a lot of celebrity investors um, in that team. And obviously with um, the growth of, you know, with the growth of women's football, definitely um, I can imagine, obviously, um, with how successful the American women's team already is. Um, right. Once, you know, we start actually having international crossover tournaments um, for club level, um, I can imagine, you know, the American teams are going to be at the forefront. Um, so right. it's, it's definitely very interesting right now, definitely to watch. Um, you mentioned, obviously, about, um, you know, fans across the globe. And obviously, you know, right. um, this podcast um, was made, um, well, um, particularly with Nigerians in mind. And obviously, um, you, you are somebody who is very popular <laughs> on um, Nigerian football Twitter. Um, yeah, definitely. Whenever, whenever I see, um, you know, whenever I see your name trending, um, like I went to Nigeria um, in <laughs> June, I think it was. And obviously, Nigeria had an international game coming up. Um, right. and, you know, I just knew it was that time because whenever your name is trending, it usually means that you've probably <laughs> um, made a proposal for a um, prospective team that we could play or prospective players that we could call up. Um, right. So it's always very interesting. Um, yeah. So I have to ask, um, how, how are you able to, um, how is it that you're able to um, find such a wide array of players from so many nationalities? Do you have a scouting team? Um, do you have, <laughs> what is it that you do? I don't have a scouting team. I wish I did. That would make life a lot easier for me. Um, 
No, I don't know. I've, I've always had a special thing for Nigeria, uh, both in terms of sports and culture. Um, I read Things Fall Apart, which is one of the greatest uh, Nigerian books of all time at a uh, somewhat young age. So it's always been something, it's always been a country that's uh, definitely interested me. Um, and, and especially African countries, because just looking at uh, youth tournaments, you know, I remember watching the, I think it was the U20 World Cup last summer and seeing so many players um, such as Sekou Koita on Mali, um, just so many impressive young players and just thinking, wow, if, if these guys were, you know, Austrian or, or Portuguese or if they just played, if they had developed in like a top academy, a top tier academy like Benfica or Chelsea or Ajax, they would be getting a lot more hype, um, but, but they aren't, you know, they were perhaps, perhaps in a, in a good, in a decent level uh, African academy, such as, you know, Aspire Academy, uh, ASEC Mimosas, you know, there aren't, there, there are some very good academies in Africa, but uh, it just, it just made me think, you know, that's, I think that's an element of privilege that we don't necessarily consider. Um, but yeah, I mean, with regards to uh, scouting, it's definitely one of my favorite things in, in terms of just being able to watch football. There'll be a lot of times where, you know, I, either, I'm, either I'm watching on split screen or watching just on one screen, and I will, will just wait for the, uh, for the match lineups to, to be revealed in order to, to pick which game. Uh, I want to see because I may want to monitor uh, one player in in specific or, or two players. Um, so that's it's something that I'm always keeping an eye on uh, more than just whether this will be a good game. It's, you know, oh, this player looks interesting. I'm, I've got a chance to watch him live. So that definitely plays a factor um, in my decision making. And, and that's the great thing about football is there's always a, a special young player playing at, at some time, some moment, whether that's, you know, at night at, uh, in, in MLS matches or Liga MX matches or uh, early in, in perhaps Premier League or Serie A or La Liga matches. There's always one, at least one player who, you know, could be world class one day who, you know, is, is going to play and, uh, it's always, it's always a joy to watch them. I actually went to the uh, Toulon tournament last summer, in which is like uh, located on the outskirts of Marseille, um, and that's, I guess that's a, a U22 tournament. So some teams brought their U22 sides, some teams brought their U19, some teams brought their U18. Uh, France did fairly well considering the fact that they had, I think, the youngest squad there. They were like made up of only U18 players, whereas the others were a lot older. Um, didn't make it to the, to the semifinals, but still did fairly well. So those types of tournaments, you know, I almost, I would say I, I enjoy watching them as much as, well, maybe not as much as World Cups, but definitely some other top tier tournaments, just because it, it allows you to um, get an inside look at those players before they are really uh, before they become mainstream. I think of that of that tournament of from from Toulon, uh, the Brazil team that won it 
there were there have been plenty of plenty of players from that side who have uh, you know either impressed at the top level, such as Emerson for uh, Real Betis or Douglas Luis for um, Aston Villa, both whom I interviewed, um, or players who have gone on to get uh, big moves. I think Anthony, who who is a is a winger, he went on to leave Sao Paulo and uh, join Ajax. Pedrinho uh, joined uh, Benfica recently. And I believe there are plenty of other players uh, from that team who are going to get big money moves. Uh, the Irish team, for example, they have uh, Aaron Connolly, who has Amen. done quite well for, for Brighton under Graham Potter this season, kind of come, came out of the blue. But it's definitely, it's, it's, it's players like that, which, you know, are why youth tournaments, whether that's a club level, such as uh, the, the, youth, uh, the Youth Champions League, or uh, just national team level, such as, you know, the U19 Euros or the U20 World Cup uh, that make watching these kinds of games uh, so special for me. Mm. So with all these uh, youth tournaments and all these tournaments going on around the world, do you have some sort of process or do you have some sort of, um, do you keep a calendar of some kind or what, how do you go about choosing what it is that you're going to focus or write about? <laughs> Well, I mean, the great thing about the internet and just, you know, social media and everything is it keeps you um, up to date all the time. So in general, you will have like at, at, at least like three days or, or five days of advance notice if some uh, U19, U17 uh, World Cup is, is about to happen in the next few days. Um, so, you know, and, and obviously there, there are... There are tournaments that, not that aren't going going on right now because of the pandemic, obviously, but uh, that will, on a regular basis, will take place uh, every few months or years or so. Um, so I always keep a close eye out on those. Uh, like I said, for me, those those are just as enjoyable as as senior competitions, um, and it's just really interesting to see, uh, you know, for example, how how players do. At, at the youth level and project how they can, um, like where they can, where they can end up. Um, I, I, I think that watching them, watching, watching them and not only analyzing the tactics, but analyzing, you know, how, how they are doing, what they're struggling with, what they're excelling with. It, it does give you a good idea on, okay, well, what would be the right move for this player? What would be, the right league for him to showcase his skills in. Um, yeah, I think that that's, it's, it's important to, you know, be diligent and be, uh, uh, you know, scrutinize not only their strengths, but also their weaknesses. Uh, you can't, you can't just say that a player doesn't have any flaws. You know, every player has flaws. That's one thing that I always tell my writers when they're writing player analysis or scouting reports, please, you know, be just as thorough with the weaknesses uh, in describing a player as you are with the strengths, because um, frankly, nobody wants to uh, writing writing a piece about a player who's seemingly perfect just just doesn't make sense and it's not truthful. So yeah, definitely one thing that I would say to anybody who who is trying to start out uh, working on scouting reports and and working on player analysis is uh, 
you know, don't be don't be easy when it comes to evaluating a player's weaknesses or flaws, uh, because that's just as important, if not more important, than uh, analyzing their their strengths and what they're good at. So, um, with so obviously, we really want to like get into like how you go about it. Um, Correct. So, in terms of um, when you're analyzing a player, how many times would right. you ideally? Um, look to um, watch the player? I think, like, ideally, probably at least, like, three games, maybe three or five. Um, obviously, you can't watch every single match that a player has played, but I think three, uh, three to five is probably a healthy dosage because it will, it, there's, there's probably a good chance that at least one of those games will be somewhat an, of an off game. Uh, from that player's perspective, and you can see kind of like what what he struggled in doing, what might be uh, tough for him going forward when, when playing at the top level, um, and and just look at like some things that he that he excels at. You know how he can break the lines, whether that's with his dribbling or his passing. Uh, how good is he in the air? Uh, does he kind of lose concentration? In, in any regards, and you know, a lot of people, when, when talking about concentration, they mostly think about a goalkeeper or a center back, but the fact is concentration and, and I guess just mental strength and mental aptitude is, uh, is something that matters for every single player, and that's just important for every single player. So things such as, uh, you know, not knowing when to make this a certain run or, or where to make a run, or uh, perhaps not, not following a, a marker all these things are, are just as important from a mental perspective so uh you know ment mental the, the mental side of evaluating player is is really just as important as evaluating the physical side um and and that's something that i think every every writer who who wants to analyze a, a young player should should take in mind uh when analyzing them mm -hmm. So, um, you know, obviously when people analyze players, um, I think there's always the debate as, um, you know, going by the eye test or right. do you, sorry? No, 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 go ahead. Oh, okay. There's always the debate of um, whether, you know, some people prefer to go by the eye test um, and then there's those who prefer to um, look at metrics. Um, right. So um, do you have a preference or um, do you like to um, combine, combine various... Um, Elements. I mean, I think that I, I'm not uh, a huge, I'm I'm not very good at analyzing stats. Uh, I wish I, I wish I was. I'd like to improve in that aspect. Uh, but I do think that it's important both the number, both the metrics test and the eye test. Uh, I don't think that you can accurately analyze a player without doing uh, either one of them. For example, I think that. You know, if you if you if you just look at the numbers or a player radar or you know a rating, you can get uh, perhaps a biased picture because there are some uh, aspects of of a player's performance that are either not taken into account by stats or are you know perhaps perhaps uh, obfuscated by by a certain uh, statistical metric so i think that it's important to do both uh 
just because player analysis, yeah, I mean, you can watch, for example, you can watch three games where, where a young player, say, Eberichi Eze of uh, Queen's Park Rangers did, did very well, but then he tapered off. And so say you're just watching the three best games uh, of his entire season, that can bias, uh, that, can, that can skew your perception of the player just as much as a uh, not biased stat, but a uh, perhaps a, a short-sighted stat that doesn't quite take into account all of his performances. So I think that it's helpful to do uh, them both hand in hand. Um, and I, I think that every any smart club uh, should be looking at both the, the performances, the games, uh, as well as the data behind it, because, uh, you know, at, at the end of the day, to, to accurately analyze a player, um, it just helps to do both. So that, that's some, definitely something that uh, you should take into account for, for any player, whether that's a goalkeeper, a fullback, a midfielder, uh, what have you. So um, in terms of um, how you go about it, um, I know that um, obviously there's a lot of technology out there nowadays. Um, right. You know, there's so many apps, there's so many um, things. Um, are you a fan of the technology or are you a notepad person? I, I like notepads um, just because, I don't know, I, I think that just by writing down, I think there's some science behind it, but I think just by writing it down on a notepad as opposed to, to like taking notes on word or google docs uh it it kind of i don't know it sort of sticks to your mind better when you're actually writing it down i don't have the scientific proof but i i remember seeing a study something like saying that um that taking manual notes on a on a on a paper and using a pen or pencil is better for your memory uh than doing docs so i definitely prefer the other way uh, in terms of uh, getting, it, it, it just helps. I can't really explain it, but I have noticed that it's somewhat easier to do that. Um, also because by, by jotting these notes down on your notebook, um, you know, you, you, you aren't starting your article or your scouting report um, first thing, right? You're, you're getting a, a closer sense a better sense of like what what this player is, uh, what are his attributes and what are his weaknesses, and I think it's always important to do that before you write the article, just so you have a better uh, organization of your thoughts and you can figure out okay what what should we talk about here. Uh, so yeah, I, I tend to use the notebook method as opposed to um, as opposed to uh, using the laptop. So in terms of, um, obviously you mentioned that you do have um, other writers that work with you and other people that work with right. you. Um, in terms of um, your analysis and also your writing process, um, right. do you have other people check over your work? Um, do you have other people um, look over um, some of the scouting reports that you've written or do you prefer um, to do it within your own area? Uh, well, I do when I'm writing for other sites, uh, but when I'm writing for, 
breaking the lines, I typically only uh, look it over myself uh, and edit it. Yeah. Mm. So um, obviously, um, one you know, one thing that um, you've almost become so- somewhat synonymous <laughs> with um, <laughs> is um, your um, your predictions um, or your. Right. Um, for better or worse. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, um, obviously, uh, you know, we, we weren't going to do the show without, you know, asking you. Um, right. So, um, just for the listeners, maybe who weren't um, familiar with uh, some of uh, your past predictions, which have actually come off, um, <laughs> who, would, who would you say has been probably the, uh, the biggest um, player that you've analysed um, from um, early on who has gone on to find success? I don't know about easy to 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 predict, but I, I think that both Ligun and Liga Nosh uh, are two of the biggest, like in terms of feeder leagues, in terms of producing players uh, that can thrive at the top level. I think those two uh, in France and Portugal are are so solid because they tend to produce players with both uh, a good mental focus as well as great technique, as well as um, physically physically imposing players whether that be you know with speed or athleticism or aerial ability uh, those are definitely two leagues that I, I think that you'd probably trust more than than a league such as you know the Bundesliga or um, or Serie A I think those those players from those two specific leagues tend to have a better uh, rate tend to have a better record. At, at producing players who will go on to thrive at, you know, the Premier League. Um, and so I, I have found a few players who were sort of under the radar um, before they, you know, ended up getting all these rumors. William Paliba was one player. I think I noticed him uh, in, in about, like, I think it was January 2019, who came to my attention, uh, you know, a, a player with, with pretty much, not pretty much everything, but a player who could evolve into one of the best center backs in football. Uh, great aerial ability, quick, uh, solid on the ball. Just, and, and there are so many players that, that are like that, that I've found, uh, not necessarily in France, but, but French players, uh, such as Diopa Meccano. Um, another player who I think I remember, I remember saying after, after I watched one or two games of him uh, and just thinking, wow, this kid is, he could be the next big thing, uh, was Eduardo Camavinga. I think it was against, I think it was against Monaco. After, after I saw him play against Monaco, then I thought, wow, you know, just great ball winner, um, long legs, really comfortable uh, under pressure, just great at kind of uh, bringing the ball up the pitch. Um, and, and so, I, yeah, I think it was after in the first or second game that I, after I watched him that I said that I tweeted out something, you know, Kamavinga is going to be uh, the next big thing. Uh, we actually ran a piece on, on Gabriel Magalais uh, from, from Lille on, on breaking lines, uh, I think on uh, Monday or Tuesday. Um, and it was just analyzing his strengths. And Gabriel, I think, came to my attention around October. Uh, when I was watching him for Lille in a, I, f- I forgot if it was against like Toulouse maybe, um, 
and he just came to my attention for being, uh, for being a, you know, a center back who can, who can bring the ball out of defense, who's very good in the air, uh, and who's uh, a quality passer as well. So I, I just think that, you know, if, if you are a regular watcher of League Un, you will find a lot of players who aren't necessarily on the radar, but like you, you get a good feeling that they're going to succeed uh, wherever they land or, or in, in a lot of different scenarios that they may end up in uh, just because they're so complete. I think that Gabriel, for example, um, he, 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 doesn't, he doesn't stand out in every single category when, when you're looking at, when you're trying to tick off the box for a center back. Um, I think that he, he, while he isn't maybe a 10 in, in, in any category, he is a complete center back. And I think that, you know, as a scout, you would probably rather have a player who gets eights and sevens in every single box than a player who gets a 10 in one box and a seven in a few other boxes and a five in two other boxes. Um, and, and I think that, you know, in general, League Un does a great job of producing those kinds of players. Uh, granted, Gabriel came from Avai in the, uh, in the Brazilian second division, I believe. And then he was, was found by, I think it was Luis Campos who found him at, at Lille, uh, brought him to the club, didn't really play much, went to Troyes uh, on loan, didn't really play much there, went to Dynamo Zagreb, didn't really play much there. Uh, so it was pretty much a, an unknown quantity, but I think it was uh, around February or, or March uh, 2019 when, when Lille looked pretty much set to to finish top three and get Champions League football, that uh, Adama Sumaro, who was the captain, he got suspended and Gabriel uh, came into his place and did very well. And ever since that point, he kind of took off. Uh, he ended up benching Sumaro permanently, uh, starting alongside Jose Font and, uh, you know, and, and ended up uh, causing Sumaro to leave on loan to Genoa. Uh, so he basically pushed out the Lille captain out of the team, despite failing on on two separate loans uh, to to play at all either at Troy or or uh, or Dynamo Zagreb. So definitely a, a great uh, spot by Luis by by Lille, and it it does show you that you know even if a player fails to to play at all in in two loans that are seem relatively not, not, relatively uh relatively feeder clubs you know it doesn't mean you can write them off necessarily because gabriel has gone from basically not playing at all at the senior level um to becoming this you know one of the most highly rated uh center backs in in france and will definitely will almost certainly leave to you know perhaps napoli perhaps a premier league club uh definitely think he's on the way out but and and that's one thing that I actually think that Brazil uh in my opinion Brazil probably does the second best job of producing center backs uh, after France I think Netherlands has a good argument but I'd probably say Brazil is number two after France just because there's so many like uh, it's hard to describe it. there's so many complete center backs uh Marquinhos Diego Carlos uh Thiago Silva um, Felipe Montero, 
so many players who not only have the technique, have the ability on the ball, uh, which is sort of a given for Brazilian players, but also have that, have the aggression, have the physicality, have the ability in the air. Um, and yeah, I, that's just something that I would, I would say in general, uh, look out for, for more of these Brazilian U22, U23 center backs because they can be playing you know, in, in the reserves for Dynamo Zagreb one day, and then a year later they're linked to Manchester United, Barcelona, all these different clubs. Um, there's so many things you covered in just that short little segment just there. <laughs> um, yeah. First and foremost, right. obviously as an Arsenal supporter, I love the fact that you used <laughs> the William Saliba um, example. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> obviously, like many supporters, very hopeful on that one. Um, also, um, I love the fact that you mentioned about um, players not playing, but still being talented. I think um, in football, uh, players not playing, players going on loan, not playing at uh, clubs which people would consider feeder clubs, and people right. immediately write them off. Um, right. Obviously, that was probably one of the biggest mistakes that you know a lot of people made with Nabry. Um, right. Um, and you know, it goes to show you know it's not so straightforward analyzing players. Um, yeah, you know, it's not, you know, you just assume, you know, people naturally just assume, well, if he was that good, why wasn't he playing? Well, it's not that straightforward, um, unfortunately. Exactly. Um, which, you know, I, I just thought it was great that you touched on. Um, the yeah. other thing I thought was great was uh, obviously t touching on the Portuguese league um, yeah. and obviously uh, the French league. I, yeah, I personally believe that, you know, the Portuguese league is a fantastic league for developing players. Right. Um, and I think, you know, the unique, um, obviously, makeup of the country um, and the fact that they're able to take on so many South American players right. is, you know, it's something which obviously makes their league very unique. Um, obviously, I do, ha obviously, like I said, I'm an Arsenal supporter, so I do have to <laughs> ask your take on uh, Jolson Fernandez. Jolson Fernandez. Um, yeah, I, I think that I, I haven't, I've seen a bit of him. I haven't seen that much of him, but he looks like a very tricky um, 1v1 winger. He has, like, a unique ability to just kind of slide the ball uh, past the defender and and just uh, cut inside to goal. Um, not a huge expert on him, but he there are certain things that have stood out to me uh, when watching him. Sporting in general do do a very good job of, I think, producing wingers. I would actually say they probably do a better job at producing attacking players. Uh, their academy uh, does a better job producing attacking players than, uh, for example, Porto or uh, maybe maybe not Benfica, maybe on the same level as Benfica. Uh, but then again, they've produced players such as Mateus Pereira, who's, who's thriving at West Brom and played a uh, big role behind their promotion. Uh, Gelson Martins. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, obviously. Um, so, you know, forwards who come out of Sporting's academy, uh, they're always worth uh, looking at. As for Joelson, um, it's a bit, it's a bit like, it's a bit raw for him, I think. I, I think that I'm not sure if, you know, maybe moving to Arsenal right now is, is what he needs. Uh, only time will tell. But uh, the fact that he hasn't played that much at Sporting, uh, it, it makes me think, you know, maybe he's best left 
uh, staying for another year, or perhaps Arsenal decide to do what they did with William Saliba and uh, and uh, leave him on loan after signing him. I'm not quite sure, uh, but I think it would make a lot of sense just because Arsenal uh, don't have don't really have anyone uh, to cover that left wing spot. Uh, that could potentially be Bukayo Saka. We don't necessarily know uh, what his what his future is going to end up as in, in terms of his positioning, uh, but he does look like a, a promising player. And for I think just 15 million, uh, that was the reported price. Uh, not too not too much money for 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 a player who, despite looking sort of undersized right now, uh, has a has a very good one v one ability. Um, and yeah, I, I think that it's, it's somewhat of a high risk, but it's also a high reward transfer if they can, uh, pull that off. I think that Sporting will probably, will probably need to sell players, uh, this summer just to keep, they're, they're not in a great, uh, financial situation as things stand. Uh, they've actually been under a lot of, uh, hot water from several different clubs and, and players just because of of not paying uh, fees that they that they agreed to pay. Uh, in fact, they they agreed to pay. I think it was ten or twelve million uh, to to bring in a Braga's manager, Ruben Amorim, after he had managed the club for only I think two months. Um, but they agreed to bring him in as as the as the new manager, and as such, they had to pay. They had to agree to pay. I think it was 12 million, or uh, maybe even 14 million, uh, just to just to hire him while he was still under contract at Braga. And uh, that was in I think it was February, and we're we're almost in August now, and and there's still unpaid accounts for uh, Amorim from Sporting's perspective, and uh, that's that's been the case for a lot of different players. Uh, so they've been. I think they're actually dealing with various lawsuits uh, because of unpaid uh, transfer fees, stuff like that. They're suing them. They're getting sued. Uh, they're not in an exactly stable financial position. And uh, this summer, I think they'll probably be looking to uh, bring in a lot of uh, funds in terms of, in terms of transfers while also uh, probably going with, with cheap uh, transfers. I think they're linked with uh, Vitorino Antunes of Hetafe, who is uh, who will be available on a free transfer, as well as Zuhair Fadal from Real Betis, who'd probably be available for uh, under three million. Uh, so they're definitely in the market for these cheap, low-cost transfers, uh, and there's a reason for that because they simply can't really afford uh, to spend on other transfers, even with the windfall from the Bruno Fernandes deal. So I think it should be relatively easy uh, for Arsenal to complete the deal for Joelson if, if they do end up uh, just deciding to go for him just because of A, Sporting's uh, financial status, and B, the fact that, well, Joelson hasn't quite uh, cracked in to the lineup or become a real first-team uh, performer, I know he's gotten some performances off the bench under Amorim, but he, I would probably say he's a player that Sporting would be willing to cash in on. Um, they 
you know, they've come under fire recently for, for, not, for not giving many of their uh, academy products a real chance at the first team level. Mateus Pereira is, is one case of a player who uh, didn't really have a chance at the first team level, but thrived when he, when he went out on loan. Uh, plenty of other players who, who have that example, um, who, who, who follow that example. But I do think that Joe Valston looks quite promising. So if Arsenal managed to uh, bring him in, uh, definitely one to keep an eye on. Um, obviously, speaking to you today, uh, I think one thing that's clear is, you know, you, you're quite in touch with everything that's going on in football and you have quite <laughs> depth of knowledge. So, of course, you know, the question that, of course, people would always want to know is, uh, so what, where do you see your long-term future in football? I'm not too sure. Um, I would like to, you know, keep working with breaking lines and, and getting it off the ground. I've gotten a few offers from clubs, uh, both in the United States as well as in Europe. Um, but I've held off on them so far just to um, focus on my studies as well as focus on breaking lines as well as just maturing and developing uh, not only as an analyst but as a person uh, so that, you know, if I do decide to take on that position in the future, I'm, I'm better equipped for it. I'm more mature. I'm more responsible uh, for that for that uh, area. So I, I, I just know that my future is probably in, almost certainly in football. Uh, it's something that I really have an addiction for, a passion for. Um, and yeah, I, I would love to just work with um, in, in, in football. I'm not sure what area that is yet. I've worked in uh, a lot of different areas so far both in terms of uh, journalism, as well as scouting, as well as uh, marketing. So I've worked in a number of areas uh, so far, and I'm not quite sure what my, where my path will take me, but uh, I'm, I'm excited for whatever comes next. Um, so we've come to the end of the show, but I do want to play a quick, uh, quick fire game, uh, quick fire right. game with you, sure. just, to get your, just to get your answers on some stuff. Sure. Um, so, uh, just to start the game, you ready? Sure. Uh, so, how many languages do you speak? <laughs> um, four. I would, I'm, yeah, I, I would say probably four. Uh, Italian, I would say I'm either intermediate or advanced at. I wouldn't say I'm at the level of my Portuguese with Italian. I think my Portuguese probably surpassed me, surpassed my Italian lately. Um, but I'm looking to, to, to get that, to get my Italian on a, uh, on a fluent level soon. <laughs> okay. Um, so what would, you, okay, what would you say are the top three football platforms? Um, and it can be across media, any media. Um, I have to put Twitter because <laughs> as, as annoying as it can be, it's still a great platform for, uh, for you know, reading analysis and, and finding out more about young players and just getting your thoughts out, out there um, about a young player. So I'd probably say Twitter. Um, aside from that, I don't know, Scout is a pretty useful platform uh, just because you have, uh, you have access to so many different matches and so many different levels of football. Uh, so I'd probably say Twitter, uh, Scout. Um, the third one, I'm not too sure. I guess I'll say Breaking Lines. <laughs> <laughs> because there's some great 
uh, player analysis and, and scouting reports that you can find on there. Definitely, definitely. Um, so um, in terms of um, analysis of players, um, I know yes. that you know sometimes um, people do say um, there are some underrated attributes or the, right. some underrated traits. Um, what are some underrated attributes or traits that you can give us? I honestly think probably the, the most underrated attribute is just like staying fit and staying clear of injuries because um, that's, I mean, being available, you know, and, and not having these uh, constant injuries weigh on your status. So that's probably the most underrated attribute for me. I know it's not really a physical or mental attribute, but uh, well, it's sort of a physical attribute. Um, and, and at the end of the day, that's the most important thing. Um, and it's also another reason why you shouldn't necessarily write off players that are um, that are not playing at the top level, such as Gabriel Magalais, uh, as we were talking about earlier. Because frankly, a lot of a lot of players who are who are playing a lot of football at at the top level at a young age, uh, a lot of them will end up. Uh, burning out to some degree uh, later down the line. I, you know, you saw that a bit with Wayne Rooney. Uh, you saw that, uh, I guess you could even say with Harry Kane, uh, potentially even with Ses Fabregas. All these players um, played a ton of football by the, by the time they turned 23. And, you know, when they were, when they hit 31 or 32, or, or in Rooney's case, I think it was, uh, around like tw when he was 27 or 26, when he started declining um, physically, that you know at the end of the day that 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 kind of takes a toll and it ends up building up. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely think that uh, that uh, a lack thereof of injuries um, is is definitely one of the most underrated traits and something that every every team should be looking at before they decide to sign a player. Um, that's actually probably, I, I'm a big fan of Dayo Makano. I know that he's somewhat of a controversial player. Not everybody is a huge fan of him, but I, I like him a lot. But my biggest concern with Upa Makano uh, is just his, his injury history. He isn't necessarily an injury-prone injury prone player, but he has had two uh, somewhat concerning knee injuries. And when you like look at his body, he's clearly got a ton of uh, physical mass on his, on his torso. Um, and so when, when you take all of that in account, when you, you know, try to envision him in a top league, uh, other than the Bundesliga, you know, and, and looking at all the, all the minutes that he has played at such a young age, uh, you could easily envision him getting one or two injuries that could effectively kill off a good deal of his pace and effectively make him into, uh, you know, I hate to say it, but what Samuel Umtiti is right now, just a not a very good center back going from one of the best center backs in football to a player who Barcelona are actively trying to get rid of. Um, so, yeah, I would definitely say uh, – Injuries, lack of injuries, uh, definitely one thing that I'm not sure it's underrated, but it's something that is just so important uh, when analyzing a player and, and looking at w w will there be any potential injuries down the line that could 
you know, effectively kill off uh, some some special strength. In. When you look at Harry Kane, is he is he still a great player? Yes, of course. But he's clearly lost uh, a few yards of pace that make him not has not as deadly as he once was. Um, so you know, as I said, these injuries can take a toll on him, take a toll on players, um, and and really just decrease their value. Um, so for our Nigerian listeners, obviously, um, what would you, who would you say um, are the top three players that our national team should tie down from the upcoming uh, young crop? Right. Um, I would probably say Bukayo Saka looks like a very interesting player who uh, could potentially uh, fill in at, at left back for the Super Eagles. Uh, I'm not sure where he sees his, his long-term future at, but left back has been somewhat of a problem position for Nigeria. Um, so I, I definitely think that it's, 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 uh, it's, it's a player that, the player that they should look at. Aside from that, um, I will actually say Zaidu Sanusi. I'm not sure if he's a dual national, but he's, I don't believe he's been capped yet by Jernot Rohr. Um, but he has had a kind of an exciting season in Portugal. Um, looks like a pretty impressive young uh, left back and has actually been linked with Porto, who um, are looking to sell Alex Tellez this summer before his contract, contract runs out in 2021. So could potentially be getting uh, serious minutes at, at a top club such as Porto and could potentially be the answer to a left back position that uh, Nigeria doesn't have many answers in apart from Jamilu Collins who uh, isn't, isn't really a top-level player either. Um, so I would say, yeah, Sanusi, Daidu Sanusi, um, Bukayo Saka, and Eberichi Eze. Um, obviously, there's a ton of others that I could have mentioned, but Eze is just a really uh, exciting young player. I actually saw him uh, live in Toulon last summer. It really stood out to me. Um, a very effective ball carrier. I think he's... He, he'll probably end up being a better player than, than Alex Awobi uh, and potentially Joe Rebo as well. So if they can get him, uh, if they can tie him down, that would be a very uh, successful move for the Super Eagles. Um, and yeah, I mean, England, I, I, could see him start, I could see him playing for England, but uh, starting for them in, in a World Cup or a Euros, that's going to be very difficult when you've got players such as Phil Foden, uh, James Madison, Jack Grealish uh, competing for him the first team spot. With all due respect, I don't think he's better than any of those players. So it will be difficult for him uh, to get into Gareth Southgate's England squad. It'll be difficult for Nigeria to snap him up as well. But I think if, if, they, can, if they can get him, that would be probably the most... Um, that would be probably the biggest statement out of, out of really any dual national that Nigeria uh, can get. You know, if I could pick any player, any dual national, um, whether that would be uh, – that, that, that's, that still hasn't been snapped up, whether that would be, you know, Jordan Torunariga or, um, or uh, Bukayo Saka, I would honestly go with Eberichi Eze because he just looks like such a – uh, dynamic playmaker who can 
you know, move the chains and, and break the lines and would be so crucial uh, for Nigeria to have. I could potentially see him operating alongside uh, Wilfred Ndidi as well as, um, you know, maybe Etebo in midfield. Um, but yeah, I, I think that those are probably the three players that Nigeria should be uh, looking at tying down. Okay, thank you for that. Um... I'm sure a lot of the listeners uh, would, have, would have loved that little bit this day. Um, and final question. Um, in football, I think one thing that's become very evident is that we love a good, um, you know, a minnow story. A good right. story. And so, um, of course, I have to ask you, um, what are three clubs um, <laughs> who are relatively small um, and um, have great development potential um, in terms of the players that right. are playing? Three clubs that are somewhat small. Anywhere uh, one, club, one club that definitely comes to mind um, is Pamalikau, who were, um, who were promoted to the Portuguese top flight uh, just last summer for the first time since, I think, 1994, maybe 1992. Um, and they, it's funny, they, they sacked their manager uh, and brought in uh, Marco Silva's uh, longtime assistant, João Pedro Sousa, to be, to be their new manager. And they did very well. Um, and they, they basically had to reconstruct an entire new squad because they got rid of so many players who were, who were crucial for their promotion, uh, for, for, for stealing promotion to the Primeira. Um, and they brought in just basically an entire new squad overnight. Uh, many of them on loan, many of them for free. And they came incredibly close to sealing Europa League football. Uh, in fact, they were, they had, uh, they were leading the, the table for uh, a few weeks at the start of the season, but they fell off, obviously. Um, but they, they were close to sealing Europa League football until uh, Mordoranch. They were playing Mordoranch on the final day. And... Um, they conceded a 95th minute equalizer, uh, so that basically killed off their chance of uh, getting Europa League football. But I think they will be back stronger next season, just because they have such a uh, a unique um, scouting department that is just so hardworking and, and really gets their homework right on a lot of these players who have sort of come out of nowhere to to become uh, key players playing at Portugal, which playing in Portugal, which is a very good uh, league. And so I think that Famalicão definitely wants to keep an eye on. Uh, I would, you know, I would even argue that they have the best scouting department in Portugal, along with Vitoria de Guimarães, a club that has, you know, found players such as Marcus Edwards, uh, Tapsoba, um, Pepe, you know, so many different players uh, that have come for uh, next to nothing in terms of turn three and are going to yield a huge profit. So I'd probably say Pamalikau uh, for, for one of mine. Um, aside from that, I actually, I really like the, uh, the work that REMs are doing. Uh, REM, not REN. So uh, REM have, have found, uh, are another club that has a really interesting uh, scouting department. Um, you know, they recently found, uh, I believe it was Pr uh, Predrag Rajkovic, 
uh, who had actually done fairly well in, I think it was, I'm not sure, the 2017 U20 World Cup final. I think it was one of those tournaments where Serbia got all the way to the final. Um, or I forgot which one it was. Maybe it was 2015. But he did very well. And, and for some reason, he ended up actually joining an Israeli club, uh, Maccabi Tel Aviv. But he, he finally made the move to a top-five league this summer, uh, joining Rem. Uh, and he's done, you know, incredibly well. Um, and they just have a very uh, really interesting scouting department it's, as well as uh, a decent academy. Uh, they have plenty of players who I think will be uh, who will be getting big moves soon. Uh, Axel Di Sassi has been linked to a variety of clubs such as uh, Wolves um, and, you know, very good player for kind of low, uh, low block type defenses, uh, very good in, in 1v1 duels um, and, and, and physical duels. Um, yeah, I, I think that they're definitely a team uh, to keep an eye on. A lot of players coming out of the academy, uh, such as Nathaniel Mbuku. Um, another player who I like on Rem is Moreto Kasama. He has, hasn't really played that much for them. Uh, this season, but uh, over the final few six matches or so in League Un, uh, before the before the break, he he actually ended up starting for them and did very well in midfield. Um, definitely, it almost looks like Verratti to me. Very good at just breaking lines, taking risks on the ball, and uh, yeah, definitely a player to keep an eye on. So apart from Rem and Famalicao. I would probably say um, one team to keep an eye on would be uh, Brentford. I think that Brentford are uh, definitely a team that has, has done a good job of working on a, on a small budget. Um, when you look at some of the players they've found, you know, Saeed Ben Rama, we just ran a piece on him on Breaking Lines today, uh, brought in from Nice for not sure what it was. It was one one point five million, two million. Very. It was a very small fee. And looking at it now, um, you know, depending on whether they can uh, win the the playoff final this weekend, um, they could be looking at potentially a thirty million, thirty five million uh, in terms of profit just by just from that one player. Uh, so they have a very good uh, scouting division. Uh, they actually have one one scout, I believe his name is Brendan McFarlane, located in France, who has done a very good job of spotting players such as uh, Brian Buemo. And so, yeah, I, I, I hope that, um, you know, who, whoever wins today between Fulham or, um, or Cardiff, I would, I would like to see uh, Brentford go up, uh, aside from those two, just because they have a very... Uh, interesting uh, scouting department, very nice to watch. Um, and I know it's, it's, it's probably not going to happen, but I, I, if they do go up, I would love to just see them uh, keep hold of their entire front three of Mbuemo, uh, Ollie Watkins, and Ben Rama, and, and watch them uh, play uh, top flight football with Brentford. Um, you know, they're just one game away from, I believe, their first Premier League berth ever. 
So it would be great to see them uh, get the chance, uh, get the opportunity to to go up. Um, so yeah, I would probably say from from three from those clubs uh, that you mentioned, Brentford, Famalicao, um, as well as Rem, are three clubs to keep an eye on. Thank you for uh, thank you for that, Zach, and huh. thank you for joining us today. Um, it's definitely been a very insightful episode. Um, definitely. We definitely appreciate all the uh, knowledge you've shared with us today and, of course, some of the predictions as well. <laughs> um, yeah. For those who are listening, obviously, at the end uh, of the show and they want to follow you or they want to ask you a question, where can they find you? Uh, at Z-A-C-H-L-O-W-Y, uh, Zach Lowy on Twitter. And... Um, for um and what is the uh website for breaking lines breakinglines.com uh the twitter main twitter account is btlvid uh so check that out give that a follow uh we're going to keep posting some quality player analysis uh on the website um thank you again zach it's uh, been a pleasure having you with us thank you for having me on it's a pleasure and uh, i definitely hope to be on again soon Thank you very much. Um, to everyone else that's listening, make sure you share, leave a review, um, make sure um, you um, let your friends know, make sure you share on your social media sites. Uh, we really appreciate everybody tuning in. Um, and um, like I said, this is the Nine Journal Podcast, where we are on the ball with the people that know. Thank you for listening. <laughs>